things through. So I'm going to tell you a story that some of you will be pretty familiar with, and uh, I'm going to ask you to be, uh, to, to be consciously processing this story in a particular way. If you are familiar, and to the degree you are familiar, it's very easy to hear these stories again as what God did. But the stories in the Word of God about what God did are intended to reveal to us who God is. And so to the extent that you only hear it as a story of what God did, you're really missing out on the opportunity to grow in your understanding of who God is. Because to the degree that these stories reveal who God is, God is unchanging. And so the way that he was then, God is today. And you actually have uh, something in common with the people of Israel. You also have a powerful, evil overlord that wants to keep you in bondage for the rest of your life. But you also serve a powerful God. So here we go. Showdown of the ages. Exodus chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. As for you, you shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh that he let the sons of Israel go out of this land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. And when Pharaoh does not listen to you, I will lay my hand on Egypt and I will bring out my armies, my people, the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt by great judgments. So here we go. Moses and Aaron show up, say to Pharaoh, God has asked us, to ask you for permission to take his people into the wilderness, Pharaoh says, no. Aaron throws his staff on the ground and turns into a snake, which is strange. The magicians of uh, Pharaoh say, cool trick, watch this. They throw their staffs down, also turn to snakes. Aaron's snake eats their snakes, which is kind of a... I, there's some parts of the Bible, like, I need commentary, you know, like, what's that about? It doesn't even tell us. It just says that it happened, and Pharaoh goes, yeah, I don't even care. And uh, see you later. So uh, the next morning, uh, Moses and Aaron meet Pharaoh at the Nile. He's going down to bathe, which actually turns out that's where they meet up a couple of times. Uh, they meet Pharaoh on his way down to the Nile, and he says, if you don't let my people go, uh, the Nile will turn to blood. He refuses. Moses touches his staff to the river Nile, and the river Nile turns to blood. Which is very hard for a couple of reasons, because that's a water source. It's also, uh, there's a lot of life in the Nile, and all of the uh, fish and the Nile creatures are killed. It says that the people are actually digging holes near the Nile in search of water. But Pharaoh's magicians were able to duplicate this. They took a little jug of water and did their little magic sayings, and they were able to turn it to blood. And it says that Pharaoh was not concerned about this. He says, okay, yeah, that's an inconvenience. I can get my water from somewhere else. So after the Nile turned to blood, 
God sends, number two, God sends a plague of frogs upon the land, which initially I think some of my younger children would have very much enjoyed, but it kind of escalates out of control, and it says that there were frogs in every crack and cranny of Egypt. They were crawling through everything. You'd open the microwave, and out would come frogs. And Pharaoh said, okay, that's, that's, that's a good one. Also, my magicians can do the same thing. Turns out they can make frogs as well. But this is a lot of frogs, so if you could have the frogs leave, um, I would be willing to let your people go. So Moses prays, the frogs disappear, and Pharaoh says, I changed my mind. Plague number three, Moses, again, as, as God's conduit, turns the dust of the ground into gnats. Now, gnats is a little bit of an ambiguous word, but another translation that I think has a better effect is lice. <laughs> Everywhere. And Pharaoh's magicians say, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, we can't do that. We can't turn dust into lice, gnats. Pharaoh says, Nad, yeah, I'd, it doesn't even matter. I'm not letting your people go. Plague number four, flies fill the land. So I was, we were, I was driving across, I think it was like Nebraska uh, a few years ago with Talia, right? It was with you. We were doing a road trip and I don't know if it was like a hatching event that happened, but this was like straight science fiction. There were so many bugs, it was the middle of the night, there were so many bugs coming onto the windshield. Like, this happened, like it escalated very quickly that my windshield wipers couldn't keep up with it. And so the next exit, I pulled into a gas station to try to clean my windshield. And when we pulled into the gas station, I remember Tally and I sitting in the car in horror because you couldn't see the gas pumps. Everything was moving. And we sat there in the car and said, nope, not getting out. <laughs> Flies over the whole land. But something happens, this is the fourth plague, something happens in the fourth plague that then becomes permanent. And that is that the flies were not found in the land of Goshen. That is the place where the Israelites resided. So it was only in Egypt. This was an Egyptian fly problem, not a people of Israel fly problem. Pharaoh says, okay, this is getting out of control. I'll tell you what. You, can, you guys can do your little festival, but you have to stay here to do it. And Moses says, no, we have to leave. And he says, okay, fine. You can leave, but you can only go as far as uh, Diamond Ridge. And Moses says, no, we're going all the way out of country into the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, no, forget it. It's not happening. And so God sends fifth plague, pestilence on the livestock. We don't know exactly what it was, but essentially it killed the livestock. And Pharaoh sends some of his people down to Goshen, to the place of Israel, to see if their livestock are affected. And sure enough, the, the, the livestock of the Israelites is not affected by this. Pharaoh says, no, I will not let these people leave. They will be my slaves. 
Plug number six, Moses takes some ashes, some soot in his hands, and in the presence of Pharaoh and his magicians, throws it in the air, and the, the people are covered with boils. In fact, it says that the magicians, these, uh, I don't know what you call them, that worked for Pharaoh, uh, it says that they were so embarrassed they, they wouldn't even stay in Moses and Aaron's presence because they were covered with boils. As painful as this was, Pharaoh doubles down on his refusal. So this is plague number six. And as we come into plague number seven, we actually, God gives us some commentary to help us understand what's happening. Because this is, like if you've raised kids, you've dealt with stubbornness before, right? If you've been a human, you've, you've known stubbornness before, right? This is like, this is pretty, this is pretty serious. God says, let me give you a window into what's going on. Exodus 9, 14, 16, he says, this time I'm going to send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For had I now put out my hand and struck you and your people with plague, you would then have been eliminated from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name throughout the earth. It's so fascinating. God actually says through Moses to Pharaoh, he says, I need you to understand this is not actually a contest. That's not what this is. This is me allowing you to remain in order to display my power in fulfilling my covenant to my people who will be free by my hand. That's what's going on. Do you think that it's a legitimate contest between God and Pharaoh? Do you think God wakes up in the morning and says, oh man, this Pharaoh guy, he is a tough nut. I was not expecting this. Uh, what else we got? We got more bugs or something? Some of you look at the world today and you say, why is evil and sin allowed to persist? God says, oh, we could be done with it right now. By my word, it would be over. And yet I am declaring my power and my name throughout the earth. And what I find, uh, as a pastor, I find uh, disappointing at times is when someone, uh, after, after the frogs and the bugs, says, well, if frogs and bugs don't work, we're doomed. Like, there is, there is no hope, right? We, I mean, we tried lice, we tried bugs, we tried frogs. And apparently we're still enslaved. So I guess that's the way it's going to be. And God says, no, no, no. I'm going to set you free. But I have more that I want to communicate about myself. Plague number seven, hail and lightning. He actually gives the people a warning. He says ahead of time, you can, let my, you can release my people, you can set them free, or there will be hail like you've never seen in Egypt. And then Moses actually, who's writing this, tells us, he says, and some of the Egyptians, 
were paying attention at this point. They're like, okay, whatever Moses says, you better listen up, right? It says that some of the Egyptians actually, when they heard it was going to be a hailstorm, prepared for a hailstorm. And the ones who did not prepare, who continued to ignore the warnings of Moses, were the ones who suffered. All of the mature crops that had, had come up from the ground and were close to bearing fruit were destroyed in this hailstorm. And any cattle left in the field were killed by the hail. Pharaoh says to Moses, I have sinned. And Moses says, okay, I will pray that God will stop the hail so that you will believe, but you won't believe. And then again, the story tells us there was no crops destroyed in Goshen because there was no hailstorm. And whatever the hail and the lightning did not destroy, plague number eight, locust covered the land. And all of the fruit or all of the crops that had been, that were mature, that had been destroyed by the hail, everything left that was still in the bud was destroyed by the locust. Maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was locust. Pharaoh's servants come to him and say, bro, we, what are we holding on to at this point? We have nothing left to lose. Everything is destroyed. Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron back in. He says, okay, you can go into the wilderness to do your festival, but you cannot take your families with you. And Moses says, no, we're taking our families with. He says, a westerly wind came and took the locust away into the Red Sea. Moses refused. Plug number nine, it says that there was darkness over the land for three days. And not just darkness, it says it was a darkness that could be felt. It was so dark that people could not get up and, and, and move out of their place. Wherever you were sitting when it got dark, you sat there for the next three days. And the darkness was confined to Egypt. It was not dark in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. You can go into the wilderness. You can take your families, but you can't take your livestock. And Pharaoh says, or Moses says, we're going in the wilderness. We are taking our families, and we are taking our livestock to make sacrifices to our God. And Pharaoh says, Moses, if I lay eyes on you again, it will be the last time that you breathe I will put you to death. And Moses responds and says, Pharaoh, you're not going to see me again. And then God informs Moses there's going to be one final plague, one uh, awful, horrible, tragic judgment. So I'm going to unpack this last one a little bit. 
But this is what you need to understand. So Moses is writing this, and he's writing this to the people after they're already out of Egypt. And so what he's going to do is two things that he's going to do and one thing that we need to do. He's, gonna, he's now going to uh, not just tell the story of what happened, because what's, what's going to happen then became a memorial, kind of like Independence Day. Uh, became a memorial that the people would celebrate every year from then on out. And so while he's telling the story, Moses is going to start intertwining instructions for the future memorial of this event that's about to unfold. Well, we have a third perspective, and that is we have the vantage point of redemptive history by which we can look backwards at the fulfilled work of Christ and say, oh, wow, there was even more going on. Exodus 11.1, 1, now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt, and after that he will let you go from here. And when he lets you go, he will assuredly drive you out from here completely, which is remember what, what God had said to Moses at the beginning. Not only will he drive you out, but your people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, will plunder the Egyptians on their way out of town. So here's what I want you to do. I am going to send my angel, my angel of judgment across the land. And the judgment upon the people is going to be the death of the firstborn uh, for everyone, uh, man and creature. It's a severe judgment. He says, and this is what you are to do. Each family is to take a spotless uh, lamb, a lamb without blemish, without defect. You're to take that lamb, and with that lamb, you're to prepare a meal for the night of the 14th, the 14th day of the month. The night of the 14th, you're to prepare a meal with that spotless lamb. But when you, uh, when you slaughter the lamb, you're to spill its blood, and you are to take that blood in a basin, and you are to take a branch of hyssop, which is like a small shrub, and you are to use that as a brush, and you are to paint the doorway of your home with the blood of the lamb. And when the angel of judgment comes upon the land of Egypt in order to uh, execute the judgment of God, that angel will see the blood of the lamb and will pass over that household. And then he says, and make sure that when you make that meal that night, that you eat it all up quickly and do it with your hiking shoes on. You should be packed and ready to go. Suitcase at the door. We know... We're not confused from our vantage point in redemptive history that the blood of a lamb without blemish, a lamb without defect, has greater significance, right? This is a foreshadowing. 1 Peter 1.18, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver, silver or gold from your futile way of life that you inherited from your forefathers. You too, everyone here, inherited... Uh, slavery, right? To sin. And you were not purchased from that slavery with silver or gold. You were purchased from slavery with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Number one, take the blood of a lamb without blemish 
painted over the doorway. That's the first piece. There's a second piece. He says, and that night, I want you to make bread without leaven, that is, without yeast in it. I want you to take, uh, make dough for bread. But again, there's some urgency to this. He says, I want you to make bread, but don't put leaven in it because you won't have time to let the bread rise. You're going to bake it, you're going to eat it, and you're going to head out of town. And then he says, and when you celebrate this event down the road as an annual uh, memorial, an annual celebration, on the day of Passover, when you take the blood of the lamb, on the day of Passover, you eat unleavened bread. For the subsequent seven days, I want you to get rid of all leaven from your homes. Don't just, don't just uh, not use it in your bread. Get it out of your house. Drive it away. Again, because of our vantage point, uh, we, we, we can understand, and Scripture shows us, that what God was creating a picture of is that leaven actually represents or is a picture of sin and immorality. That having placed ourselves under the blood of the Lamb for our salvation, there is then the subsequent step of putting away sin and immorality based on that salvation. Not as a precondition, but as a response to the saving blood of the Lamb. Get rid of the leaven. 1 Corinthians 5. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Leaven has that effect, right? It gets into everything. So clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump of dough, just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has also been sacrificed. You've been made clean. You've been made unleavened. So get rid of the leaven. You've been washed clean of sin. So get rid of sin. That's the second piece. And then he says something that I found interesting, and, uh, and then he sort of explains it. He says, uh, no one who is not a Hebrew can, can celebrate Passover. And then he clarifies. He says, what I mean by that is, and we find this to be true in this story, when I save my people, there's actually going to be a large group of other people that say, we're going with them, right? Whoever they're serving, I'm, I'm with them. And he says, those people, when they come with you, they are not to participate in the Passover, blood of the lamb and unleavened bread, unless they are circumcised. That's actually a precondition to them participating with their families. And again, from our vantage point in history, we understand that this was intended to be a picture of putting away confidence in the flesh, confidence in self. That is the independent life. You cannot place yourself under the protective uh, covering of the blood of the lamb and still place confidence in your own ability, your own flesh, your own capacity. You can't do it. So before you come, anyone can come, but he must be circumcised. Philippians 3, verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the true circumcision, and listen to what he says, who worship in the Spirit of God and take pride in Christ Jesus. 
That's our confidence. And we put no confidence in the flesh because what's fascinating to me is that what was intended as, a, as kind of a picture of, of refusing to put confidence in the flesh became actually just the opposite to the Jews. They said, well, if you're circumcised and you're good to go and you're going to heaven and nothing else matters. He says, note, it, it, it means that we put no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in the blood of the lamb. So we have blood of the lamb, the unleavened bread, and circumcision. And this is the invitation today. Place yourself under the blood of Jesus, putting no confidence in yourself, turning from sin, and be saved. It was simple thousands of years ago, and it's the same message today. Exodus 12, 29. It came about at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh got up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. There was a great cry in Egypt for there was no home where there was not someone dead. And he called for Moses. Aaron at night and he says rise up and get out from among my people both you and the sons of Israel and go worship the Lord as you have said take your flocks take your herds as you have said and go and bless me also and the Egyptians urged the people to send them out of the land in a hurry for they said we will all be dead and so the people took their dough before it was leavened with their kneading bowls bound up in their own clothing on their shoulders now the sons of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, for they had requested from the Egyptians articles of silver and articles of gold and clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and so they let them have their request, and they plundered the Egyptians. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from there, about 600,000 men, not including women and children. And a mixed multitude also went up with them, along with flocks and herds and a very large number of livestock. Freedom. Free. Set free by the power of God. For you here today, do not be mistaken and do not be deceived. God is again sending his angels to judge the world. But you need not be afraid. The invitation is the same today. You putting no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in yourself, would place yourself under protective covering of the blood of Jesus, turning from sin, that you would be saved. And the invitation is not just to you, but to anyone who would come to you and your household. you're here this morning and you have not placed yourself under the, the cleansing blood of Jesus, Acts 16.31, and they said, this is what is required. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. 
God, would you give us the courage and the grace to believe? God, if there is anyone here this morning who is, who is at that threshold, at the precipice, wrestling with belief, would you take them by the hand and bring them to you? We thank you for the blood of Jesus by which we have the capacity to put away sin. We thank you for freedom through Jesus. We thank you for your saving work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.